So in some ways, it's the best time ever to start a business because, you know, the, there's chaos. And, and chaos is opportunity. When, when you look at, you know, the entrenched powers that be, when everything is going according to plan, my, my take is, is that the, the most powerful get, the strong get stronger mm-hmm. and, and disruption is harder. But when you look mm-hmm. at even something like the last year, I mean, it's chaos yeah. and lots of stuff has emerged and, you know, champions have been dethroned and underdogs are, are reigning and, So a few weeks ago, we had Michael Easter on, who is the author of The Comfort Crisis. Yeah. And Darren, you and I read that book. Yeah. Tyler's lazy. He hadn't read it yet. Come okay, on, hold on. Hey, hey on, before man. you put me on blast in front of our new friend, <laughs> I am literally two-thirds of the way through it right now. So, oh, there we go. So hold your tongue. We have not heard anything about any comments. Because I'm not going <laughs> to advertise while I'm in the middle of something. Once okay. I finish it, then we can talk about well, it. Well, we don't need yeah. to go on too far down. The point in bringing that up <laughs> so was... You got a guess in Jason McCarthy. <laughs> a <that>. name <laughs> that kept popping up in that book was Jason McCarthy. Yes. Who is the founder and CEO of Go Ruck, which designs, builds, and tests rucksacks, footwear, and apparel, and also leads rucking events globally, led by current and former Special Forces. Jason, man, we are so excited to have you on. Welcome to the show. It's it's great to be here. I'm really glad to be preceded by Michael, too. He's a good friend of mine, and um, yeah, he's just good people, and you should definitely finish that book. It's, it's yes. awesome. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, it spoke, you said a second ago, spoke your language. That book spoke my language. Uh, I loved it. Abs- I, I tore it apart in two or three days. I mean, it was Yeah, it, it, was, just, awesome. it was a really well, I mean, it's, it's a story, but it's well-researched. It's, yeah. you know, you can take it on a lot of different levels, right? I mean, you know, you, you read a piece of good fiction or something, and it's like, all right, cool, that was entertainment, but mm-hmm. this was this is a feast for your brain too. questioning yeah. a lot of your assumptions and how we should live and, and why mm-hmm. and what are we chasing and why and go do hard stuff. Yeah. Pretty simple, yeah. really. Yeah. You nailed it. The, the research. I mean, I think he said he read thousands of studies and talked to people like you and re, I mean, he did so much work going into that book. So it was really, really impressive. But the reason that we want to reach out to you and speak with you is because he highlighted and, you know, rucking was a big thing that he did and was such a big part of the book and it, and it had me intrigued and and i've heard of go ruck obviously you see them all over social media uh and we, and we see the finished product or what the product is today what we want to understand is your story and how you got here today and really we want to go back to the beginning and understand how you grew up and what your family life was like so take us back there where are you from where were you born what was family life like for you growing up jason so i was born in 1979 in dayton ohio which is Southern Ohio. My, my mom was 18 year old an 18 year old and she 18 and five days when she Mm. had me. And, you know, that's a hard thing for someone who's a senior to do. She ended up graduating a little bit early, going into hiding of sorts at my grandparents' house, you know, eventually reconciled with her parents. I kind of brought that, that back. Um, you know, she was number one in the state of, of Ohio in, in tennis as a junior oh, and then wow. just quit. Right. I mean, she's rebellious, right? She mm. got pregnant at 17. You do the math. Right. And, uh, she quit, but then, you know, after I was born, picked tennis back up 
and won junior college nationals out of Sinclair Community College with me, of course, around. Oh then got a full ride to Florida down in, uh, down in Gainesville, so go Gators. And we moved down there. I was the mascot for the women's tennis team. <laughs> and, you know, she was great. She was, you know, all SEC and, you know, did captain of the team and, and all that stuff. My dad was, uh, you know, joined the – was a pressman in Ohio for 41 years. He just retired last year. So right when I was born, he took a job in, in Ohio and I'd go up and every, every summer I'd go back and, and spend time with him and my grandparents. My, my grandparents on both sides were, were really important in my life growing up. And when my mom got remarried, we moved to Dallas. So unlike someone on here, I grew up a Cowboys fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm talking about. And, uh, so we moved to Dallas because my stepdad had, had gone to SMU, but he was an old family friend. I mean, of, you know, my uncles and it just, you know, there's a lot of families that got brought together. So I got an extra set of grandparents that became a bonus set, I should say, mm. who were also really instrumental. And we bounced around a, a fair amount, ended up in, in Jacksonville on, on the beach side of Jacksonville, actually in, in 1992. So been, it's been kind of home since, but uh, you know, I've, taken a few detours and I always would go back to my roots in Ohio and, you know, no stranger to sort of travel and, and new schools and all that stuff. I've, yeah. I've done all of that. Yeah. Going back to your mom. I mean, that's a, that's, awesome, that's story. awesome story. Yeah, it is. And, and going back to her and, and, you know, she made the transition back into, to, you know, continuing, continuing her, her tennis career, but then she went to the university of Florida. What was, do you remember what the, has she ever talked to you about what that was like having a young child and, ex, and going through that college experience at the same time? Yeah, it was really hard. I mean, you know, she, I mean, she was on a, she was on a full ride. So there was not this, there wasn't the financial pressure of paying for the school, but mm-hmm. you know, her parents then helped out a little bit. I mean, she had a, uh, we had an apartment and there was an, uh, she always had an extra room and she gave away kind of uh, like rent to the, the other person that would stay there because we were there for three years. Mm-hmm. And, and that person just had to kind of be around to help watch me a little bit. Wow, right. Yeah. So I became kind of not like all the time. It wasn't daycare. It was mm-hmm. just sort of, Hey, occasionally she goes on a, my, my mom's got to go on a trip or something and I got to get dropped off at this other friend's yeah. house or my mom would, you know, she was an exercise fanatic. So she would, there was a place called body electric. Remember the eighties, the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the uh, aerobics craze. Yeah, oh, yeah. That was it. It yeah. was body electric in Gainesville, Florida, rest in peace, you know? Oh. And she would bring me to that and she'd put me off to the side with coloring books and I would sit there and color or do whatever for the hour long class. And then we'd, I just got used to going places with my mom and I was mm-hmm. always around with her. And, you know, unless she was off, you know, mm-hmm. in some tennis match somewhere. And then I got, you know, put with other people. And so I had to learn how to kind of adapt, but you know, my mom was my, was my center of gravity in my life. And it was one of those things where, you know, everyone wants some kind of perfect, leave it to beaver style, yeah. whatever, like if it would have been like this or that, but we forget what we get out of, you know, the people who did love us or the people who mm-hmm. did spend time with us or the, you know, I became more adaptive. You know, I, yeah. I learned how to be around older people. I was kind of raised in part by my grandparents. I mean, my mom was my mom, but mm-hmm. she was 
in some ways kind of like an older sister. She was just so young, you know? Right. So mm-hmm. there was always, she needed more help or advice or, you know, she just says, I was just, I didn't know what to do, Yeah, you know? Mm-hmm. And so she was, had made friends with some people that had kids and, you know, I would, I would go over and play with them. Well, their parents were of course older than my mom. Right. You know, I'm there. My mom's 22, mm-hmm. you know, right? and, and I'm, you know, whatever, three or four. And it's like, you know, I mean, this is crazy. I mean, I got a four-year-old and I'm 42. Right. Yeah. I got a nine and a six and a four-year-old. And it's just, it's just completely different. I mean, my mom was 36 when I graduated from high school. Yeah. And and had to put up with a little, not a lot, but a little bit of, you know, just natural desire for teenage independence when she was in her mid thirties. I mean, like, this is just. Yeah, but it's how much? That, how much did you get from your buddies? Buddies, uh, the boys oh are definitely God. knocking the, out the, the door. Mom, the young Tell mom. the truth. Tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> my 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 friends really loved my mom. Yeah, yeah. no doubt yeah. about it. She was, yeah. they were like, man, your mom is just so cool. She's right? So yeah. Nice. yeah, that's what you're thinking. Can yeah. we you know, stay over? Just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had one buddy. He would just move out in the summertime. You know, we just were, we'd be playing basketball and tennis and football and you name it. And it was just, you know, it was, it's, it's easy. It's like so much of life. It's so you get it in hindsight so much. And, you know, it's like, it was just, that's, that's how I grew up and it could have been different and I could have faced other challenges, but, you know, we bounced around a lot and, you know, a lot more people took a vested interest in making sure that to know that I was loved. Yeah. Yeah. So despite the difficulties of, you know, so many different schools and, you know, and, and like every time there was something new, right. A new move or whatever, like I, re- I, I retreated to being more of an isolationist just with my mm. feeling more protective, mm. I should right. say, yeah. right. Mm. Like you don't want to go, put yourself out there too much because you're just going to move next year. Uh, yeah, right. right. And, yeah. and stuff like that. So, you know, there's, there's good sides that come with that as well. And, and it certainly increased the bond with those who were closest to me. Yeah. And I think from the very beginning, and this is to those young parents out there that think that, you know, every, every child, right. has to have this sterile, perfect situation that they need to be protected in and be in the house and has to be quiet and they can't go anywhere and can't expose them to anything. Children are resilient from the, from the start. And, and for you going to Florida at such a young age, you know, your mom in junior college, but then going to Florida at a young age and okay, Hey, I'm here and I'm moving that taught you to not be used to chaos, right. But not, um, not being destroyed by it when you did experience it. Cause you were used to change and you were used to things and parents out there don't feel like you've got to just have everything in the perfect control because it's, it's really good for kids to have exposure to different scenarios and, and inconsistent, um, just lifestyle changes. Cause it's good. It teaches you. Cause like you said, later on in life, as you're moving, it was like, okay, I, I've prepared for this. I mean, you don't get good at doing hard things by doing easy things. Yeah. It doesn't work like that, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's kind of to go back to Michael Easter's book, right? I mean, ma- make sure it's hard and don't die. Right. And your 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 job as a parent, I think, is make sure that your kids love know that you love them, mm-hmm. right? Above all, make sure and just tell them, mm-hmm. right? And, oh, and side note to that is when you're wrong, say I'm sorry. It's perfectly right. acceptable, yes. right? But you know, your kids need to do hard stuff. 
you can't protect them from everything, but you have to protect them so they don't literally die. I mean, that's, that's the goal. And so, you know, it's like you see these, these parents on the playground and, you know, like if if Johnny gets looked at sideways, like they're, they're like going to call the cops or something. I'm like, this is just ridiculous, man. Mm -hmm. Your, your kid has to learn some playground rules in life because life is way worse than what you're going to find on the playground. So you don't get good at doing hard things by doing easy things. Part of that is, look, you need to skin your knee up. You need to get, you know, pushed down every once in a while. Someone needs like too many people. And I, I say this intellectually, not for like clickbait BS. Like, People need to learn what it feels like to get punched in the face. Yes. Yeah. yes. Like metaphorically, <laughs> physically, all of that. You need to know what that feels like. Yeah. And because, you know, I mean, there's like the great philosopher Mike Tyson said that, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. people gotten used to talking too much shit online and not enough people's <laughs> getting punched in the face, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, actions have consequences. And just because you can call up your lawyer or call up your mom or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's like, that's just not how the real world or a fulfilling life works. You have yeah. to be able to, to persevere through those hard things. So you, you can't go from doing nothing to climbing Mount Everest. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. And, and confidence and leadership, everything is a tiered scale. You know, you make, you know, you make the varsity team like, man, I'm, I'm awesome. Right. You, mm-hmm. you, you try out, you know, you, you make the, you make the college team, right? You don't play for a couple of years, but you're like, damn, I, I'm biding my time, you know, mm-hmm. same deal with, with the things that we go through in life. And you've just got to, you got to pay your dues. And the more dues you keep paying, the more you're going to get, you're going to feel some, some wounds, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That can either knock you down or, or you can get stronger because of it. But yeah. if you never get hit, like, yeah. you know, what are we even doing? I mean, think about how America was founded. Think about our DNA as people. Think about what the human race had to go through for us to even survive. And it's like, you know, you look at Johnny sideways and you're about to get an affidavit or something from, you know, some lawyer somewhere. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm ready to run to a brick wall. Oh, say, go ahead. If you don't Jason, say go. anything else for the rest of the show. wrap it. Yeah, if yeah. you don't say hey, anything else for the rest of the show, this is an awesome show. Yeah. Let's call it the Jason McCarthy show. Bro. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> hey, so where hey, was, Jason. I was going to say, where was dad and all this? Yeah. Like, how, how involved was your father? It sounds like you were my moving father, around too much. My but. father was was excellent. I mean, I, I didn't have any, the hardest part was that my, my mom and dad just didn't get along for, for a while. And my mom's grandparents blamed my dad, you know, can't fault him too much for knocking my mom up at 17, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there was just bad blood there, but you know, I, I would go and visit my dad six weeks in the summer, um, a week at Christmas and every other spring break for a week. And you know, my, my father and I are, are different. He's really good at fixing motorcycles and he's really good at working on stuff in the garage and doing, you know, like he just, he's, he's not, he, he's an extrovert. I'm an introvert, mm-hmm. you know, but he doesn't, he doesn't want to go work out. I've always enjoyed that. He wasn't really an athlete, but he's a great skier. I'm a mm-hmm. bad skier, but I was a good athlete, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. but you know, the, the overwhelming thing that I, I picked up from my father is he's the happiest guy I've ever met. Mm. And it's just, you know, one of those things where like it, it breaks the norm for me because I feel like my happiness is not necessarily his happiness in terms of, and like, we're really close, mm-hmm. you know, my, my dad and I, and I was really close with, with his parents. Like he would go to work and I would, 
we would stay over in the summer at my grandparents' house and they had a pool in the backyard. They got one when I was probably five or six. And I have such fond memories there in that, that world. And my dad would come home at three in the afternoon cause he worked, you know, when, when the, the good years he'd work second shift, I guess that second shift, seven to three in the afternoon. And I just couldn't wait. My dad was, you know, we just got to spend this time together because I didn't have any other friends in Ohio because I didn't, right. you know, grow up there. I wasn't going to school there. So I just was dependent upon, on that side of the family. And it was just different. Like my dad would put me on the back of his Harley and we'd go out and then my mom's parents would see us out in town. And like, it's like, you know, World War Three started, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, back, in, back in the day, however it could start. And so it's, um, you know, he's, like I said, he he was a union guy for 41 years mm-hmm. and that is kind of the opposite path that I've chosen. But at, at the end of the day, like that's his path to walk and he loves his buddies. They just sort of show up. He's got a garage that's, you know, I, I don't know. This thing's like the Taj Mahal of garages though. <laughs> and it's just like my, one of my favorite places on planet earth is just to hang out in the garage and drink a beer with my dad. So <sighs> there it's, it's, it's funny what, how well, how well that relationship has just grown over the years as well. You know, he taught me stuff like, you know, beer and live music is what money's for. And he he took me to all my first concerts and he loved the grateful dead. And, you know, we go to, you know, festivals in the summertime and we take trips to Niagara falls and, you know, there's so much common ground that we found because he put in the time and took me along the stuff that he loved. And, you know, I'm not going to say I wouldn't have loved beer and live music, but, you know, put those things together. It's like, I always think about my dad and we're always, now it's kind of, he'll come down and visit the grandkids and we'll do it when there's a live music or when there's a live concert somewhere or whatever. And it's just, those traditions are, are really strong because we have that, that kind of base of having spent so much time together. That's amazing. And I hope my two kids talk about me like you just talked about your dad mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. So awesome. Like, yeah, so, my dad used to take me into the garage and make us work out all the time. <laughs> That's and then... <laughs> no, but like just, the, yeah, just the love and admiration you had for him. And it yeah. sounds like, number one, his work ethic just sounds incredible. I mean, sticking to it. He probably yeah. passed that along to you. Number two, just being involved and just, just loving you, no matter what, knowing that you, that you were important to him. I think it was not that easy, too. And, and, and kind of a, a twist of fate, you know, both sets of, of grandparents were in Dayton, Ohio. And when my mom's dad got older, you know, my mom was gone and my uncle wasn't there in town. My, my dad started really helping out with mm. his ex-in-laws. That's just the kind of guy that he, he always was. You know, yeah. they'd had to communicate over the years because I was in town and I'd stay some nights with my other grandparents. And it's, you know, you can understand again how my grandfather was not especially happy with my dad, but my dad's just a nice guy. Like mm-hmm. one of those lessons of just a really nice guy. And if you're a really nice guy, eventually that'll win. It yeah. will win out. Yeah. And so, you know, he was just really, really kind to my grandmother and my grandfather. And then my grandfather passed and my, my dad helped out my grandmother so much. I mean, he'd come over and just change light bulbs and air filters and make sure she had her water in the right place and you know stuff that gets harder for people and yeah. you know i think in our society we're we're it's the first time ever in the history of the universe that we've kind of taken our elderly and just kind of pushed them away yeah. because we have the means to be able to do that and i, I think that there's I, I believe in you know individuality and privacy and all that stuff but i think at times it goes too far 
Like just because you can't afford to send someone over here, like, you know, there's, there's a lot that, that grandparents can do to mentor not only the next generation, but the next, next generation in a way that, that, you know, when they're gone, they're gone. And I miss my grandparents. I still have my grandmother and my, you know, step grandfather that are around and, you know, I miss all my grandparents and I wish I had more time with them. And so, you know, it's like how to, how to bring that back more, these kind of stronger families cross generations to me. And so I think it's, you know, I had access and a different kind of love from my grandparents that was just really, really important to me. And over time, it really enriched and helped me explain my parents too. So it made those bonds stronger as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, You see your dad in you, man. Yeah. Like that's your dad in you working in you. Yeah. You care about people. And, and that's, you know, and that goes back to, you know, and it's weird. I mean, I want to go back on this because one of the things that when you're talking, it reminds me a lot of how I grew up too. My mother raised me, um, pretty much, but the opposite happened. There was a lot more anger in my father that my father wasn't involved in my life. And as I reflect back, it was just, you know, I always saw other people's fathers in their life and it took me a long time to forgive. It sounds like you, you had to open up and you were living in, in Dallas and, you know, all over the place and were away from your father and you still had that strong relationship with him. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was something where our family was just extended. I mean, my, my stepdad, I mean, I, you know, it took a, I always liked him. It took a longer time to, to just really love. I mean, he's one of my best friends now. Right. So, you know, I just grew comfortable without, I didn't have this status quo, leave it to beaver style, you know, mom and dad and two kids or three kids growing up, you know, and then you know, I had half brother, half sister, not in that order. My sister was nine years younger. My brother was 12 years younger. So, mm. you know, there was a big gap there that changed dynamics. But, you know, I always looked forward to going to Ohio in the summertime. It was yeah. just kind of a, a great thing. My dad made it fun. I enjoyed the time with my grandparents. They they made it as fun as possible. And they realized my grandparents were pretty young. I mean, my <laughs> My grandparents were just, my grandmother was about my age now when I was, when I was the age that my kid is. So, I mean, they were, they were active and that was kind of a blessing. I was the first kid in the, in the family on either side. So I got to spend the most time with, with my grandparents. But I mean, the harder parts were, I mean, I remember, you know, having to deal with, with kind of just the, the loss or the, the, the not wanting to. I didn't want to leave my mom. I would get really sad when I left my mom. Mm-hmm. I'd like cry on the, on the plane on the way up. And, you know, I got to figure out a way to dry my tears by the time I get there. And then I'm happy to see dad. And I do that again, six mm-hmm. weeks later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and this was such a different time. I mean, just to wax nostalgic for 10 seconds is, I mean, they would give me wings. My one parent would go up to the actual boarding okay. gate, right? Yeah. With what? Me, basically walk me on. Right. And then I would go up and, you know, they would put me on my seat, escorted and whatever. And in the middle of the flight, the, you would call them stewardesses back mm-hmm. then, flight attendants now. Right. Yeah. So no disrespect intended. I, I have a special love for, 
for people in that profession. They'd bring me up to the cockpit. I'd fly the plane, mm. right? Yep. They'd open up the door, and I'd go in there, and they're like, you know, they probably turned it off and stuff, and I'm up there going you like didn't, You were flying that yeah, thing. You yes. were flying that. Right? I was flying it, and it's just it was such a different time, and then I'd get off, and, you know, I was the last off, and, and one of the – Whomever it was from, you know, it was when Dayton was a major hub. It was a Piedmont U.S. Air hub. So the U.S. Air representative or whatever would come and get me and, and walk me out. And then there would be my, my dad or my mom, depending upon if I was coming or going. And, right. and so, you know, I, I just I, I really felt fortunate because they they all loved me. Right. And I think there was some kind of overcompensation that I really benefited from. Yeah. Right. This idea of, you know we had you too young Mm -hmm. and you know, we just, we're going to try even harder. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, I mean, I think that being older as a parent, you have a lot of the kinks worked out. It's, it would be easier to raise an orchid now, right? Mm -hmm. The orchid wildflower debate. And they had no choice. I mean, it was wildflower for me just because there was so much natural chaos. They just didn't know what they were doing. And so, you know, the older you get, the more means that you have or the more you're able to kind of, uh, you know, schedule better and, and balance around. And, you know, Johnny's calendar is just perfect and play dates and all this stuff. And it's like that just wasn't where the world was. And right. my parents weren't really suited to do that. My mom wasn't really suited to do that anyway. So it was just like, hey, we're going here and you're coming. I was like, all right, awesome. That was my norm. <laughs> but But really think about it. What is the one thing that's needed is for, like you said, your child to know that they're loved. Mm-hmm. That is what they remember. That's what impacts them. And that, that is what I, it sounds like influenced you more than anything. You knew that both of your parents loved you and, and put a ton of effort in it, regardless of whatever chaos was around. That's what's, what's important. It doesn't matter how many private lessons you can put them in, the nanny that you have, uh, the toys you have, the, it do, doesn't matter. What makes the impact on your child is the attention the um, the intentionality and the love that you give them. Mm. So I love that. So let's let's fast forward a little bit to high school. You mentioned that you were you were an athlete. What was what were your high school years like? And and as as you kind of prepared for college and future service in the military, how, what did those years what what did those years do for you from a growth standpoint? So high school was hard for me. Uh, I, it was, uh, I went to the Bowles school in, in Jacksonville, which is a, it's a, it's a challenging school and it's a, it's a really good sports school. So my senior year, we were, the football team was number one USA today with 13 mm. D one rides, Oof, right? Wow. Full rides right. to football. Okay. Um, I mean, baseball programming, Chipper Jones went there, a, bu- a bunch of other, I mean, it's just, it's a really, re- I mean, the swimming program is, is top in the country. Right. I mean, people came back from the Olympics with gold medals. You know, Mm. I mean, it's just it was a really competitive environment and the academics were equally as competitive. And, you know, I played tennis. We were good, but it was not on the same level as like I wasn't going to the Olympics. I wasn't coming back with with anything like that. And 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 so, you know, it it, it was it was a hard time for me personally as well. My uh, my mom and stepdad were marriage difficulties. So I was kind of caught in the middle of home life. Wasn't perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, I had younger siblings house. Wasn't very big. I lived far away from school. Right. So it took an hour to get there one way. Wow. And, 
And it was just, I mean, I look back, it's why now I'm like, I, I bike to work. I, mm. I just refuse <laughs> to do that. So we always kind of overcompensate the things that, right, right. that, that we didn't like about something. And I'm just, I, I just can't, the, the thought of commuting like that just is a no go. But I think, you know, this isn't some pity party by any stretch. It's, it's, um, I, I was also started out high school small. I'm I'm six four now. I grew three inches in college, wow. right? So I was just going through. You know, it's a hard time. It's a hard time to be a kid. Yeah. You're going through it, and you're you're kind of awkward. Girls, you know, girls, their their physical changes happen sooner. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. guys, it happens a little bit later. You're expected to kind of be a man or something. I don't know. Right. (laughs) Right. And you have all these expectations you put on yourself. And then, you know, the guy next to me is like six, seven and got a full ride to FSU and, you know, 300 pounds and and looks like he's 35. Right. Right. And I'm like, you know, got acne on my face and like my arms, you know, (laughs) twice as long as what it should be, except I'm not that tall and like things are growing and it's just like crazy. Right. And you know, it was, it was just a, it was a challenging time for me. And so I, I, I had a, a, a really close group of a few friends, but not a lot of friends. I wasn't, I, I was kind of at that stage in life where I was more comfortable, you know, not putting myself out there. Yeah. And, you know, that I wish I could go back and, and kind of be a little bit more outgoing because it's not, not in my nature, so to say, but that's just where I was. And so, you know, it, it was just a lot to get through. It was hard. Academics were hard. I was, I was playing, you know, I'd get home late at night after practice, you know, home life was not perfect. Yeah. Right. And, and, and just rinse and repeat. But, you know, I, it, it's, it's one of those things where the academic rigors made college a lot easier, right? Mm-hmm. The, the time that you put in really learning and I, I loved being on a team. I never really loved the tennis parents, so to say, but I loved being on the tennis team. That's where my best friends were mm-hmm. and, and, and stuff like that. And so that stuff was fun. And I carried that over into college and, you know, all the, the skills of adapt, you know, being adaptive and, and, you know, like you become what you do. Right. And so for me, it was just sort of, I, I developed, started to develop a work ethic and there was a lot of pressure put on me. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I, it was a, you know, my, my grandparents were paying for me to go there and I felt like I owed really yeah. good grades and I felt like I owed all this stuff and I got okay grades, but I was always like, man, this is hard. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so look, I mean, I, I say that mostly because, you know, there's, there's people out there and this would really continue throughout college where it's just, you don't have your way figured out in the world and there's people out there chirping all over the place, chirping and barking. And it's like, what are you going to do with your life? What's next? You know, mm-hmm. wh- like you're supposed to have stuff figured out. And what I've found is, is that the older I get, you have to have some stuff figured out. Like I'm going to spend time with my kids here. I'm going to do this. You know, my wife and I do this together. It's part of our routines, but you got to have these unknowns like you got to let some magic into your life and when you're yes. a kid wait a minute it's say that again kind of- I, I, want, I want i want you to say that again say it again no you gotta have <laughs> you gotta one have in your life magic in your life you gotta have some magic in your life boy not everything needs to be just scripted right <laughs> it can't be you know it just can't be and everything is going that way and 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 so it, the problem is is when you're young you're you're open to, to you you're, you're open to so many different mm. things 
and it's just a pressure cooker because you know you're you're not tall enough you're not good looking enough you don't have enough friends you know you you didn't you're not this on the team you're not that and and you know you're not dating the prom queen or et cetera et cetera et cetera and it's just it's really hard and that stuff that stuff the more that you learn yourself, the easier all of that stuff gets. And the only way to learn yourself is to go through the adversity mm, of, yeah. you know, all of those things that life presents. So, you know, going through pressure cookers like that, some people go through that and they, they just are kind of will become bitter yeah. or they'll, they'll look at it and it's like, man, that just sucked. And they'll try to avoid specifically that. It's like when I got out of the army, it's like, I'm never doing PT again. I'm never going to wake up early and go do anything because I hate that, right? Yeah. Well, that's a terrible answer, uh, right? Like, I love to be outside. I love to toss sandbags or go for a rock or go for whatever, right? Be outside yeah. and sweat. Be active with buddies, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it comes full circle eventually. Like, then you can roll around in the dirt. It's still fun. It's awesome yeah, even right. when you're 40, right? <laughs> yeah. But we, we go so hardcore against the things that we found uncomfortable and you have to find the silver lining in order to to kind of choose what what was good about that because mm-hmm. you learn something about yourself. Don't throw everything out right. with the lessons that you've learned. Right. Mm-hmm. Did did you have that revelation and that awareness in in your high school and college years? I mean, now it's easy to look back at forty and think these things and think about how grateful you are. But were you grateful as you were going through it that hey, this is hard, but that's going to make me better one day? So I was grateful, for instance, I was grateful for some of the, the academic stuff that I got. I mean, it was, it was a cooker and, and I, I knew, I knew it was, it was really setting me up well, you know, it was also a a school that had a lot of wealth Mm -hmm. attached to it. And we were like, you know, my grandparents could pay, but I didn't have two, I was like, filling a gas tank off of, you know, the change in the console yeah, or, boy. you know, wherever I could scrape, emptying yeah. out the couches. 75 and, cents you know, of that gas tank. And, stuff. Yeah. and, you know, there's Porsches and Land Rovers yeah. in, in the parking lot and stuff like that. And it's just like, you know, that, that made me feel inadequate to a certain degree. And, and yet, you know, there were trade-offs that were like really empowering. So I, it, you know, nobody has the full perspective to be really, right. really grateful, sure. yeah. but you know, I was grateful for, for the friends that I did have. I had some really, really good friends and I'm still really good friends with, you know, from, from those formative years, including the one I uh, married twice mm. and uh, same girl twice. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, like I, I met really good people and, and I, I came to love, Jacksonville, this part of the, this part of the country and, and the people here. And, and so there's so much good that came out of it. And there were, I, I knew of the silver linings at the time, which is, you know, it's kind of how you get out of bed sometimes, right? Uh-huh. It's like, I know this is, I know this is fun because we have this, this match against this team. And I right. got, you know, it's like, that'll get you through a lot. Yeah. So what were you thinking going through high school and, and then beyond? Were you thinking, about furthering your education, was that on your mind or was it more so like you get out of high school, get a job? No, you know, there, there was the expectations of, of going to college for sure. I mean, this was like 99.9% of the kids that go to Bulls go to college. Mm. And so that was just, it was almost never an option to not mm. go to college, to mm. be more succinct. And that's yeah. just expectations of family a, as well. And so that led me, yeah, that led me to college and then I wanted to play tennis. And so I, I went to a, a D3 school in, in Atlanta and had a great experience there as well, right? It was, it was a different time though, from the standpoint of there was the kind of 
dot com Mm. bubble that was yeah. building and and then while i was in college you started to hear so this is the late 90s stories. then right so is yeah it, so i graduated okay. from college in may of 2001 okay graduated high school in 97 mm-hmm. and so you know early in college it was kids are getting out and they're making six figures if you just move to california it's mm-hmm. like what like i didn't even that that sounded like you're playing monopoly to me. yeah right I, I didn't really understand it at all and frankly i I don't know why, but I wasn't really that interested in that path either. I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I really enjoyed the economics. I, I studied economics and art history, and I studied German in college because I was going to go. I had made a buddy, and I was going to go stay with him in Germany. I'm like, sure, I'll learn German, mm. you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And so it was kind of – there was just a lot of – you know, obviously the world changed in, in September of 2001, but I applied to some jobs. I was expected to go get a job right out of college. And it was like, uh, you know, it was like a violation of that when I said, I don't know what I'm going to do and I don't have a job and I'm going to go travel for a summer. It was like, whoa, you know, like I was supposed to play by the rules. And, you know, I found that to be, I had to come to that lesson on my own, but traveling the world to try to find answers is not a good plan. Right. Mm. I mean, at some point you'll, you'll kind of discover some things about yourself, but it gets boring and lonely. And if you have a bunch of friends there, like nobody's going to go, it it gets old, right? Like we need Mm -hmm. kind of mission and purpose and a why and stuff. And so without the perspective of why to do this, I mean, I think it would have been better to join the Peace Corps or, you know, yeah. do something like that. And so for me, frankly, you know, 9-11 happened and that became almost a, a, a blessing in disguise of sorts. And I, I say that with, with reverence and respect for, for the lives that were lost there. But for our nation and for so many of our citizens, it was, it was a huge wake-up call that, you know, there's a lot of value in serving something greater than yourself. Do you remember where you were? That meant, do you remember where you were? I'm sorry to to interrupt. Oh yeah. I was, I had, I had come back from central America and I had taken a, like a call center job at a marketing firm because I had to do something like Mm -hmm. traveling for three months or whatever, it kind of gotten old. And so I'm like, all right, I got to kind of, I got to figure something out. Like the, the forces that be, the pressure was raining down on me. And I'm like, all right. So I took this job and it was a job, you know, sometimes you have to just start with a job. Mm -hmm. So it was filling out databases and calling car centers and and trying to, you know, you know, I don't know, figure that out so they could sell them other services or something. And I woke up and I, you know, I had my, my, um, I was in Daytona beach, Florida and I had my, you know, chinos on with my, you know, pockets and you know kind of not too wrinkly i could pass to go it's florida it's a little more lax and i had my little button down with my shirt on and i was all you know young professional ready to get going and i turned the news on because i was always you know i i I don't do this anymore but i was i always had a tv on with news i've always been really interested in in you know whether it's international affairs, so to say, mm-hmm. domestic policy, all, all that kind of stuff. It's always just interesting. It's kind of mm-hmm. make, makes the world go round. And so I had CNN on and I remember that I watched in there. So like breaking news, you know, with Paula Zahn, I think it was. And, you know, a plane has hit the World Trade Center and nobody knew what it was. Right. And so the first thing that I thought of was if you remember JFK Jr. had tragically passed yes. in a, a yes. self-manned 
uh, plane crash, mm-hmm. right. That he had flown and it was like, you know, sad. And I was a JFK fan and still very much am. And so I was, it's like, just seems senseless. And I was like, Oh, what kind of an idiot is going to fly their plane into the world trade center? Mm-hmm. Like that there should be hell to pay for this. And, you know, lo and behold, there, there was, it just mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't what I initially thought it was. And so I remember it was just a really, you know, confusing time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so that ends up leading you to want to join the military. Uh, and, and I believe in 2003, you decided to join the army, correct? Yeah. So, you know, there, true story to fast forward in, in the middle of that though, you know, I applied to all the alphabet soup agencies, right. You know, FBI and CIA and all that. And I re- went really far down the CIA path. And there was a, there was a guy named Mike Spann, who passed yeah. away. He was the first KIA in, in, in the post nine 11 world. Yeah. And he was, a he worked for the paramilitary branch of the, of the CIA. His past was in the Marines. He spoke, uh, the, the dialect in, in Afghanistan, one of the ling, I think Pashtu. And, and so he, he was sent to Afghanistan. He died in the prison uprising. If you remember John Walker Lynn was there. And so it was kind of unprecedented at the time, but the CIA did a lot of publicity about his death. And, I remember reading that and I was like, this is what I need to go do. Mm. And, and like, I want, I want to be that I want to serve in that capacity. So I went through the whole CIA process. And and the thing about the CIA is they do have that, that capability. And a lot has been kind of, a lot of their stuff has been turned toward drone strikes and stuff, but they have a very active paramilitary branch. It's just their bread and butter is the the case officer route. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's where, you know, I kept asking along the, and it takes a year, sometimes two to get hired by them. Like they say, if you're in a wait, you're or, sorry, if you're in a, in a hurry, you're in the wrong place because <laughs> they want to vet you. And it's just, it's a really long extensive process as you would hope it, it, right. it, it yeah. would be. Yeah. And, um, and so I kept just asking about this stuff. Like, how do I do this, this paramilitary ground branch? I didn't even know what to call it at the time. And eventually, you know, a year in, this guy in this, you know, Northern Virginia secret squirrel kind of nondescript compound office setting was like, Hey, check it out. Like we don't hire direct for those roles. We take them from special operations from special forces. And I'm like, all right, cool. That's where I need to go. And so it was, thanks. Thanks for the last year. Yeah. And now let me go over here. And so couldn't have told I started me this looking at 12 going, months ago. <laughs> you couldn't have told me this 12 months ago. Yeah, guys. You know, it's like it ended up, you know, it ended up coming full circle again um, on, on that front because, you know, later, right before I joined the army or in that process, I told the girl that I'd fallen in love with the first time I met her when I was 15 that I went to high school with what I was doing in the process that I was going through. And she later applied to the CIA and became a case officer. <laughs> oh. And we got married while I was in the army and she was, you know, a school teacher and then going through the CIA and, and the farm and all that stuff. So, you know, sometimes unintended consequences, right? But, I, you know, the what I found out trying to become an officer was there was a really long line to serve our country as an officer in the military in 2001, 2002, until for cents, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. And I the, it, it kept getting bumped and bumped and bumped and not making it. And so eventually I was like, you know, college degree and all, I got to go enlist. If I, like the wars are passing me by. Mm-hmm. And so in March 2003, you know, we, we invaded uh, Iraq and you know, the, the, the Rolling Stone articles came out on Generation Kill, which would later become a book and a, and a miniseries and stuff. And I just, I, I was following that, you know, and politics aside, I mean, I, I kind of, 
you know, joined up to go to, to Afghanistan. I wanted to be on a, I wanted to be on the same mountain bin Laden was wherever he was. Mm, and yeah. I'm like, let's see how this goes for you, big guy. Right. And, and, um, you know, that would not ultimately be my path, which is, which is okay. Um, but you know, I just felt like the wars were passing me by and I felt like I would regret it for the rest of my life if I didn't sign up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, October of 2000 and probably enlisted in, in September, but I didn't leave until October. And so, you know, it was a big uproar with my family and, and all that stuff. Any so, military background in your family on either side? Yes, but not close to it. Okay. It wasn't sort of a, a military. I mean, my grandfather had been in Korea, but never yeah. talked about it. And that was on my dad's side. Mm-hmm. You know, he called him, he was an artillery officer. Um, what was know, my the, uncle what, flew. Go ahead. I'm sorry. sorry? Go ahead. Yeah, my uncle flew helicopters in, in the Navy, but it, it, it's like it wasn't in a time of war. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Korea was, but my grandfather said he was pretty far from it. I, I never really got the full story, which is, you know, kind of a shame as well. Right. Well, so what was the expectation? What, what did your parents, your grandparents, what did they want you to do? I mean, before 9-11, they would have thought that I would go, you know, remember, this is like the time of Wall Street and Gordon right. Gecko and get mm-hmm. out and make money and, and do that and, you know, serve your country by making money. And uh, mm-hmm. like that, that's, that's great. And that's fine. Right. Like, I, I think we need to unleash the, the scientists and the entrepreneurs and we need to figure out the new moon missions and we need mm-hmm. to, you know, do so many other things. But that, that to me, we look back on that, that era and there was just not a great push towards service mm-hmm. that, that I wish that there were, mm-hmm. you know, that, that 9-11 kind of brought about, but I think needs to come back even, even more. And so, you know, I was expected to go be a businessman or, or something like that. You know, if, if after school I would have said, hey, you know, I'm going to go be a diplomat or even I'm going to be an officer would have been a, a lot more of right. in line with expectations. I mean, anytime you tell your family you're going to join up and join special forces and, and it's a time of war, I mean, they're going to worry. It's going to be hard, yeah, you know? Sure. Yeah. So it's just, it was, it was kind of a... It was a curveball, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So walk us through, uh, walk us through that, like you know, basic training to special forces training. What was that experience like for you? Was it harder than you expected? Was it different? What was that for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'd seen Full Metal Jacket and all mm-hmm. that stuff, right? I mean, what's <laughs> basic training? And basic training was a, a lot more miserable in different ways than I expected. I mean, it's just it was Fort Benning, Georgia, in in the winter time, and, yeah. and that that's a special form of hell right there. <laughs> I mean, when you just get up and you're just standing there for an hour or you're, you're just out patrolling and then you stop and you're just called it shiver PT, like shiver physical training. I mean, you're just there. Just, it's just gets to your bones and yeah. it's just horrific. And you know, the whole break you down to build you up. I mean, I, I had a little bit more perspective. I was 24, I guess. I had a little bit more perspective than some of the, the young guys, mm-hmm. right? Because most of the guys are between 17 and 20, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, probably even closer to the younger end, younger side of that. And so, you know, it was just kind of like, you can't stop father time. And there was this older National Guards guy, um, Montgomery Singleton. He was also a, a, a police officer with the San Francisco Police Department. And he was a very calming figure. He was a big guy and, you know, he was already serving in the police department. So he was, he was calming for all of us, which was great. But, you know, I, I learned a ton of lessons from, I mean, my drill sergeant was a hugely inspirational person to me. I'm still in touch with him now. 
And, you know, he, he cared about us. It was, this is a time of war. And so, you know, he, he really had that tough love, but then I, I will never forget it on the airfield at Fort Benning at the very end. He's like, Hey men gather around and he got us all around. He's like, I've been really hard on you. And, you know, I just want you to know, take the lessons that you've learned and bring the same attitude to your unit when you get there. But, you know, there's, you're going to go to war and I want you to stay alive. And that's, that's why I did the things that I did. Mm. And so it's like, man, sometimes it's, it's an explanation that's that simple that'll stick with someone forever. So, you know, teaching somebody or telling them the why, and I've taken this in my professional career or my time, you know, life as a parent, it's like, tell people the why, you know, if you, if you, Treat someone like a private. Sometimes you have to treat people like a private, and that's right. okay. Mm. Like, don't you don't have to yell and scream, but you've got to, you know. Sometimes it's required, but you can still tell people the why and tell them that you care about them and want them to be successful yeah. and and stuff like that. And that can make all the difference. I mean, you know, he he had already earned my respect and, and our respect, but that was just took it to to another level. Yeah, so that's all. okay. So walk us through special forces transitioning from from basic training to special forces. Yeah. So I got on a bus and went to, you know, airborne school, which is right there. So I had a contract that took me through the pipeline direct. They, okay. they needed more special forces soldiers. So they would guarantee that you could go to these, these schools. You just had to pass, right. Got it. You mm-hmm. know, and statistically almost nobody does, but they kind of don't tell you that when you sign <laughs> up, it's like, Hey, if you make it, you make it. And truth is, is if you make it, you make it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Airborne school and, and airborne school is terrifying. I mean, anybody that says that, you know, they weren't scared to death when they jumped out of a plane. I mean, it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. You know, you do a night jump, you got all your combat equipment on. It's, it's heavy. The, the landing is terrible. I mean, you just land like a sack of potatoes, man. And it's, mm. it's, you just feel the shock waves come from, from your feet all the way to like the top of your skull. It's oh. like, ah, oh, you know, it's like you've been tasered or something. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know, but it's, it's, it just, it hurts. Yeah. And you just learn to kind of deal with it. Darren, how many, so, Darren, how many planes have you jumped Zero. And, and Jason, <laughs> you just made this shit very casual. Oh, it just, you it hurts. Jump out of a plane. You jump and it out hurts. of a plane and it hurts. Like, shit. I'm not sure. <laughs> that is not I mean, happening. There's better ways to do it. I mean, there's better kind of parachutes and there's better this. But like, you even watch, you know, watch a show like Band of Brothers or something and watch how they land. And then it's like, oh, they just pull. Like, that hurts, man. Yeah. It really hurts. <laughs> <laughs> when you land and it doesn't hurt as bad as some other stuff, but it, it sucks. Right and you on. just, you learn how to deal with it. Like that's part of the thing. You just learn how to deal with stuff. And so, you know, that's three weeks and overall it was not as physically demanding as I had, had expected, but you know, that would come later. Mm. And, and uh, then the special forces qualification course, it's just called the Q course started. And what I did not know, I didn't really know what it was. I mean, I, I wish I could tell you I did all this research, which I tried to do on what all this was before I went, but you just see pictures of people with green camo on their faces and they're out in the woods and it's like, all right, I guess we're going to go play army, you know, but what does that mean? How do you do that? Right. And how do you build that up? And so, you know, an adage that I learned from, from a mentor of mine, you know, just a few years ago was to be a great teammate. First, you have to be a great individual. Now, the, the corollary to that is then you have to submit to the team, mm-hmm. right? Because the, the, the person that is the great individual, but it's all about them, that's called a cancer on yeah. a team. 
Right. Right. And so, but you have to prove yourself. You have to prove to yourself and you have to prove to the regiment or to the team that you're capable, that you're capable and uh, you're able to meet this standard. And you don't yeah. know what this standard is, but you're able to meet it. And so the first thing that you have to prove in, in special forces is that you can navigate through the back country, the, the, the woods of North Carolina with a map and compass and a heavy ass rucksack. Mm-hmm. And so that was my introduction of, of, I mean, we went on one little road march or a couple road marches in basic training, but that was, that was different. This was, Hey, you know, here's 45 pounds minimum. You put it in your, in this big giant army green rucksack and you know, it's mostly just so that you have weight. You don't end up using any of that stuff when you're out there rocking. <laughs> and, you know, it's just to, to you, you have to meet those time hacks. So, you know, here's your points, go get them. Mm-hmm. And you have to, you know, and you know, the shortcuts are never shortcuts. Those are called long cuts, right? It's like, oh, if I go this straight line, awesome. I'll be there in no time. Well, you go through there and before you know it, it's like, the, the wait a minute vines have just encircled you 360 degrees. You forget which directions, which you're pulling out your compass to say, okay, that's North. You picking your, you drop your rucksack. You're so wrapped up. You pick your rucksack up. You're throwing it forward. It's, it's like landing on your feet. It's, mm. it's, it's not going anywhere because you're trying to break through this brush and then you get to the river <laughs> and then you have to cross the river and then you have to fight through brush on the mm. other side. And you just, you, you know, you learn a lot about yourself out there when things don't go your way because they don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's just, it's mile after mile. And the interesting thing to me was when you look at all of these schools out there, you, you see the discovery channel and the yelling and the screaming and all of this stuff. It wasn't that at all. It was, it was quiet. I mean, mm. they, they, it was so quiet. They had a whiteboard hmm. and the whiteboard outside where the cadre were, that's where they would give you the instructions. Mm. Like they didn't even speak to you. Mm. Wow. Like be here this time, this place, this uniform. It's like, all right, right face forward, March, do your best men go. Yeah. That, that is <laughs> and, not what you see. <laughs> And, and so, you know, there was, there was, uh, three hours of log PT, you know, the stuff lift the log, right. do then you see there's blood and snot and dirt and, you know, people yelling at people and, you know, you're weak and all this stuff. And, and then there's three hours of, of rifle PT, you know, raise the rifle and it's, it's dummy rifles. Cause they, they get pretty jacked up and then you know, sprint over here and come back. That's six hours out of three weeks in selection. Mm-hmm. The rest is just dead silence. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but I, I passed that, you know, I was, I turned out to be a pretty good rucker. Um, just from the standpoint of, um, I got long legs. It's, it's probably, if I had to pick a sport that I was kind of built for, it, it would be, it would be rucking or swimming mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. just how my body works. And so I wasn't as good at, at anything else, but this was kind of my strength, which, which, which was good. Cause some of the, the army army stuff, the tactics and stuff, I mean, th- that stuff was a little bit harder for me. And so you have to be good at something though. And I was, I was the muscle, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Oh, there's more weight. Okay. I can carry that. Right. And I had mm-hmm. to, I had to learn, man. It was, it was, it was a pressure cooker as well. It's like, Hey, you have to be in. So after these individual tests happen, then the, the course evolves and it's, it's team tactics and, you know, everyone rotates through, through leadership lessons or leadership roles rather. And so you have to direct an ambush or a raid or whatever. And there's doctrine that you learn on how to do that. You have to, you have to navigate there. You have to be there early. You have to, you have to in place, you know, 
interlocking sectors of fires on your machine guns. You have to, you know, you just have to do these basic doctrinal things. And, you know, you can look at some of this as antiquated, right? Because, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily how the wars are fought right now with, with gun trucks and, Mm -hmm. you know, GPS and, and bombs dropping, but, you know, one of the rules of, of the soft truths or special operations forces truths is humans are more important than hardware. All that stuff will break. Everything will go back to the least common denominator, which is you and your team. Yeah. And you have to be resilient and you're more resilient together. So learn, make sure that you can play well with others and that you're still a value add to your team. And that's mm-hmm. really what they're, they're testing over the course of, you know, for me, it was two years in training. Wow. So you go into this, what was your, what was your mindset? And we haven't really discussed, you know, how you've hand, how you handled failure earlier on in your life, but you're going into this, not knowing a ton about what the special forces training looks like other than what maybe you saw in magazines or a TV commercial. But did you go into it thinking, okay, there's no way in hell I'm going to fail. Like, no matter what, I'm making it on the other side? Or was it, hey, I'm going to go in and just do my best and find out you were, okay, actually, I'm, I'm built for this. So it was actually in the middle. And I think that, I think there's an arrogance associated with I could never fail mm-hmm. because I saw great people, I saw great people get injured or bad luck happened or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that if you're hoping to do your best, I think you're, you're not confident enough. Yeah. This is my story anyway. Yeah. And so for me, the, the piece that, that I made was, it was basically like, okay, here's this standard and I don't know if I'm going to achieve it. Mm-hmm. There were definitely times when I was like, man, I don't think I'm going to pass this. I think they're going to, I think they're going to fail me. Right. I, if anybody that says that, they didn't go through that. I mean, I would, I'd really want to sit down with them and understand how they're a cyborg, you know? (laughs) And so it's this thing where I'm, what I made my peace with was I'm not going to quit. Yeah. No matter what happens. And, you know, everyone reaches a low point in in the training. And I was phase two was really hard for me. It was Vietnam era jungle patrolling tactics. And I just didn't grow up around this at all. It didn't come quite as naturally to me as it did to others. It was just kind of, you know, I asked one of the cadre a question like, well, why, why are we doing this again? Like I was still in a college lecture or something. Yeah. And that just put, you know, a huge bullseye on me. It's like, Oh, you know, the question guy. Right. <laughs> and so then it's just, you, you do it to yourself yeah. and the pressure cooker comes mm-hmm. on and it's like, man, how do I dig myself out of this hole? And the way that I dug myself out of that hole was really simple. I was just really good at carrying heavy weight, yeah. long distances. And I was, I was significantly better at that than, than most people were. Mm. And it, I mean, I, I related to just basic body type stuff. I mean, mm. my legs are really long. Yeah. So mm. I have to take, you know, if you have to take 10 steps, I have to take six over the course of, you know, three weeks, <laughs> it, adds up. It, it does yeah. add up. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like, that was, that was a superpower that I could leverage at that time. And, you know, just try to try to give more to the people on your team. Cause peers were an important part of this as well. Yeah. I mean, it, the cadre can only see so much. So it turns into, 
you know, they, you, you judge and grade your, your peers mm-hmm. and, you know, can you play well with others? If they don't want to work with you, guess what? The guys that are already green berets probably aren't going to work well with, yeah. aren't going to want to work with you either. Yeah. And you have to be the kind of person that can, that can play well and work well with others. I want to take a quick break from this episode with Jason McCarthy and talk to you guys a little bit about our, our sponsor, Choctaw Casino and Resort. We've been talking about it for weeks and months now. The time is almost upon us, the new resort. What are you most excited about, D, about the, the new resort? The spa, hands down. Well, I'll tell you this. It's 1 and 1A, one 1B. One it's the pool area. Mm-hmm. So I can take the kids. I can, we can have a great time. I can bring all my friends, and we can sit out and lounge out there while the kids go down the slides. That's one thing. But also the casino and then the spa area. Like, I... I Crazy that I say this, but I love to be pampered, man. Dude, you're such a. I'm a diva now, man. You get pedicures, don't you? I get pedicures. I get massages. I like taking care of myself. Yeah, My man. wife has introduced me to a whole new world, you know. And I know that Choctaw Casino and Resort is definitely going to do it. Now, there's a visual for you. Darren kicked yeah. back in his bright yellow robe. He's got the little cotton balls in between his toes, getting his nose, getting his toes done. Yeah, my t- and nose done. <laughs> so if you're a big fan like Darren is of getting your feet played with, go to Choctaw Casino Resort, the brand new spa, brand new resort. Now back to the episode. And that's interesting, right? You're going through this and, and knowing that, look, I, was there a number, a set number of spots that they could actually fill? Like you had to fit, you had to finish in the, in the top, you know, 60 spots or you had to finish in this in order for you to move on or is it you just have to finish and you have to complete everything that would be a hotly contested question okay i don't know that there's you know certainly on the, in the officer billets they have their goals or their targets for mm. the number of people that will pass through i mean they were trying to increase the special force the numbers of special forces so yeah. at the same time when that boils down to the tactical level of the actual cadre who's giving you a go, no go mm-hmm. at, at this station. Right. I mean, it's, it's pretty primordial. Like okay. if you're not, if, if you're a bad fit, they're going to get rid of you. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Cause that's, what's interesting is, is it's like, it's like training camp in football. And, and I always have to preface, I'm never comparing our military to football, but training camp, like, it's like, we're on the same team yeah. look, working for the same goal. And we, we, you know, are sacrificing our bodies for the team, for each other, but at the same time, I'm competing with you, right? Right. And through special forces training, it's like, okay, hey, you're hiking uh, or, you're, or you're rucking and, you know, you're on mile 10 and it's like, hey, I'm competing against you. But then you also have that sense of, hey, you're my brother. I want to bring you along as well. So how did you battle with that? Like, hey, I'm, I'm also here to support you and build you up because, man, we're, we're fighting the same war side by side. But at the same time, I also need to pass you because I need to make sure that I'm a part of this unit. Yeah. So, I mean, the first is, is competition breeds excellence. That's right. You've got a bunch of type A alpha males that are going through this course. I mean, that's just, that's, that's the community and iron sharpens iron. So, mm-hmm. you know, every day it's like you're stepping into the wolf pack, man, you better show up ready. Yeah. And, and, and the difference though is you're, it, it's not a zero sum game. You're not actually competing you know, you're not competing for a set number of slots that, that coach picks or whatever. It, it's more like, I just want to beat you because I want to fucking beat you. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, and, and there's, there's such a beauty and a simplicity to that. And, 
you know, it's like, man, I suck at this. I've yeah. got to get better. Yeah. And, and there's just, it's like, and it's not about, it's not about the money or the glory or whatever. It's about honor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's about like, you want, you want to be respected. Yeah. And so, you know, you'll take somebody that's willing, you know, assuming certain baselines, somebody that's willing to just put the time in and live by that kind of a code that just wants to get better and, and keep improving themselves. I mean, iron sharpens iron. Yeah. And so if you suck, you, you know, you have to, you have to leverage your superpowers, but at the same time, you can't have something that's a debilitating liability. Yeah. You can't have something that's going to get someone else killed. Yeah, so right. you, you have to be proficient in certain weapon systems and you have to be able to make comms and you have to have basic, you know, basic first aid, you know, basic first aid skills, stuff like mm-hmm. that. You know, over the course of your career, you get better and smarter. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the same. Like to me, sports and the military are very similar. Right. There's just a at some point, the life or death thing is it's, it's a different level, but there's so much that's similar. And you know, this, like it it felt like not like life or death, I guess, but to me, it felt like that being on teams growing up and stuff. Like, cause that's, that's all I knew. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't out, you know, fighting on the frontier for, you know, our our plot of land to stay safe. It was just that, that was it to me. So there's a lot of crossover and similarities. And, you know, at some point though, you want the people that are like the people that spend the time to teach other people their skills specifically, because mm-hmm. if you want to be better at rucking, for instance, it's like, I can show you how to pack your ruck and I can give you the tips and the tricks and I can, you know, tell you, you know, what kind of footwear and what kind of gate and what kind of stuff, but eventually you have to go do it. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to do it. And if you want it, if you suck at rucking, then you got to go do it to get better. That's how this works. It's yeah. it's the same as you know lifting weights in the gym or or doing anything, right? Someone, but you, what you gravitate toward is the people that'll put that time in. Yeah, like those people are just in, hugely inspiring, right? Yeah. And then you know the the mentors that are willing to spend the time with others for you know when they could be doing something for themselves. Right. right. But they're going to spend that time to help develop someone else or to make the team better by giving someone else a little tip or a trick. I mean, all that stuff, you know, that, that builds a happy locker room, a happy team yeah. room and, yeah. and that stuff, the intangibles that you get out of that are, are immense. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about that. The similarities, you know, with, with, you know, football and you said the military, it becomes your identity. It becomes something that you're known for. And so the transition away is really difficult for a lot of people. So you end up serving, uh, three deployments, and in 2008, you decide it's time to move on. It's time to transition to something else. Talk to us about that transition away from the, the military and why you made that decision. So it was it was a lot lot harder than I expected, which is basically, you know, the 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 AAR from everybody that's ever done it. So you know, my personal life was such that you know, my wife was a case officer for the CIA. She was working in West Africa. We had been married for almost five years, four and a half years, had never lived together at the time. So, you know, it was like, you know, the first ever Baghdad to Abidjan long distance relationship in the history <laughs> of man, you know? And, you know, we, we had known each other forever. We were friends and it was just one of those things. We were just kind of skipping to the end. Like, how do we get to this final, this final kind of like, oh, we can be together. And, you know, cause then through her, by the way, I had met, 
everybody at Ground Branch, not everybody, but mm-hmm. a lot of people at Ground Branch in the CIA who are hiring managers, who are all these things. And they were like, oh yeah, whenever you're done, just come on over, right? Like it, once you're in the system and we were in the system with her, mm-hmm. right? Like I was in that system. And so it's like, okay, cool. Well, I'll get out, which was really hard. Cause I, I mean, I, I loved my team. I had earned their respect. I mm-hmm. respected them. It was, it was a great feeling to serve. I mean, for all the, I mean, war, war is just that thing. Mm, like it'll yeah. bring people together in, in such a, such a great way for, for how horrific it is. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, you know, we also did some training missions and stuff like that, that were just a lot of fun and, and the people were great. And, and so I got out for, for the larger plan though. And, and the plan made sense. Like I, I'd signed up for revenge, but wanted, I had unlocked this goal of, of service mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that, that was kind of a change of heart. And so I'm like, okay, I don't want to be, you know, a consultant or a banker or a, a money man anymore. I, I want to serve our country. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was simple to see that to me, like, okay, go live with Emily in, in West Africa, figure out what to do while I'm there. And then, you know, we'll come back and I'll go to the farm and then go through whatever stuff there is. And then, you know, I'll be in, in the agency with her. And, and so, you know, I cried on the way out of Fort Carson. I, I turned in my parking uh, credentials to get on post and, and stuff like that. I turned it in and that, that gate is right by the, right by the exit gate. I'm thinking it's, it's actually outside of the, yeah, I think it's outside of the gate that actually gets you on post. And I had to take a razor blade and cut the sticker off of my windshield and, you know, turn that in. And then I had to drive, I had a long drive from, from Colorado to, to Florida with, you know, a Nissan X Terra full mm. of whatever, 10 duffel bags I had. And, um, I was like, man, I did not expect to feel like this. And so, you know, but it's like, all right, you know, mission, greater mission to hand, let's go. So I jumped on a plane and I was in West Africa and it just was immediately terrible. Like, you know, this girl that I loved and married and been in love with and was still in love with. And it was just, you know, we'd just been apart for too long. And, you know, she was in high octane job. I'd been in a high octane job and it just, you know, they say you, you grow apart and we grew apart. We were apart, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it was just like really, really, the, it, it's been the hardest thing in my life. It's like watching your life go down in flames and up in smoke. And you're just a spectator and you just feel helpless. Mm-hmm. And that's right. exactly how I felt. Cause you know, before you know it, I mean, three weeks later or whatever, two months later, maybe, I was on a plane back to New York city and I'm sleeping on my buddy's couch then and like lying to people about why I'm back in the States. And, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it just, we're in the, the circle in the drain here on the whole marriage thing. Yeah. And, and that was just really hard. It was an enormous failure and it was very humiliating. And, and, and it was to someone that, you know, my family loved and she loved my family and I loved her family. And, you know, we'd, been together and it was this couple that everyone was rooting for i mean mm-hmm. she's a fucking case officer for the cia and i'm a green beret <laughs> serving in war right. in the global war on terror i mean what's not to root for right, <laughs> right. And you want this to work so badly and you know we just didn't put the time in and so um that didn't work out and we had a big fight over the dog and she eventually gave me the dog you know said you need him even more than I do. Yeah. Right. Cause I, I was not in a good place. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, rock bottom is not a fun place to be. And so, yeah. um, you know, got the dog and kind of 
figured out slowly with, you know, a couple trusted friends and, and stuff like that, you know, what was next in life and how do I rebuild on top of nothing, which mm-hmm. was a very sharp detour from where I thought I was going to go and from what I'd been, right? Because right. when you're a Green Beret serving in war, like it's pretty absolute, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's like I am feeling pretty good about my value. Like I, my confidence levels are high. I've, I, you just feel good about I'm providing value, service right. to America. Yeah. That feels really good. And so then it just all rips away. And, you know, I started applying to schools because I just I had a free GI Bill, which I'm grateful to the American taxpayer to this day mm-hmm. for. Um, so, I mean, I say that in complete seriousness, like, thank you right. to, to the American taxpayer for financing that because it, it bought me time. I ended up going back to business school or to business school, I should say, in, in D.C. And it was uh, it just bought me time, which is what I needed. You know, I, I didn't need a huge pressure cooker of something, least of all from myself. I needed to feel like I was productive. I, I needed a, something. And, you know, going back to school is not the same as going back to Iraq, which is where my buddies went. But I needed something to kind of keep the structure in my life going. And those couple years were were really instrumental in kind of the slow rebuild of, of my life. Yeah. So was there a step? Does something happen through that process? So you're, you're in New York city at this time, right? Two years You're saying, are you, you've moved out of your buddy's house. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm guessing. Yeah. I crashed on his, you know, I crashed on his couch for, for a while until, until I, I got into business school at, at Georgetown in DC. Mm. And then I, you know, moved, moved out. And it, it was just, you know, I'm grateful to him, to, to Jack for, I, I, I mean, I called him from one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, like my best mm-hmm. friend from growing up. And I sent him an email from West Africa and I was like, man, things are really bad here. And can I just come and crash with you? Mm-hmm. And he's like, absolutely. When do you get in? You know, right, and like man. reaching out for help is hard. Yes. Like, Hey, my life, yes, my life's a train wreck and I, I need a friend. I mean, it's, it's just really hard to do. And I would really recommend that people do it when, when you need it, because, you know, people are there to help and find someone that find someone that you think will do that. And if it doesn't work out, then, you know, go ask someone else. Yeah. Like it just is what it is. Like that's what I needed in my life. Cause I couldn't do it by myself. And so, um, yeah, it was just, it was just humiliating, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, my, my wife, Emily had babysat my siblings growing, growing up, you know, it's like, we were really good friends. We were on the tennis team together. We, you know, it, it was just, it was just really hard. And so, you know, time, time does help though. And, mm-hmm. and doing other things that are productive mm-hmm. help. Right. Right. And so that was, that's what worked for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and one of those things that you did productively was, was start go Rut. Where did that idea come from in this whole time? So when I was in West Africa with, with Emily, um, I was there over Christmas, Christmas leave at, right after I got back from Iraq. And that was in the, the, you know, December, January, 07, 08. And I was trying to figure out what I was going to do when I moved there. And so I had a, a couple rucksacks or, you know, some people call them backpacks that I brought with me, you know, just in case. Cause I was just in the mindset. I'm like, all right, well I packed out a bunch of stuff to bring with me and I was going to leave some of it there. And I got there and I'm like, man, this place is, is this place could go sideways at any minute. 
I mean, it was not like Iraq where you have gun trucks and stuff. It was like, no, nah, they love a good coup in Africa, and it could happen <laughs> anytime, right? And, which is which is scarier in its own way yes. when you don't have the support of anything. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I took some of my mindset, which was when you go out on a on a mission with a gun truck, you you have a go bag or a go ruck in the trunk, and it's just extra supplies: bombs, mm-hmm. guns, batteries, food, radios. You know, oh, just w- normal whatever. shit. Normal yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's normal right. shit. No, just, well, it's normal shit in case your vehicle is disabled and you have to fight for your life. You right. want those extra bullets. Right. You want those right. extra grenades. You want that stuff, right? And so I made something for her without the weapons per se, but you know, just in case, like, hey, bring this around in, in your car with you everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. It's just the basics of stuff, you know, from running shoes in case that's all you have, in case you're. Yeah. You know, you, you have more formal wear on, which is, you know, another lesson of when the towers fell. Another friend of mine had been in there and had to evacuate uptown in high heels. And she's like, that sucked. And from then on, she's like, I'll always have a pair of running shoes with me. Mm-hmm. Right. So you build this stuff out, adapt it to the environment, you know, handheld radios and extra water and, you know, some survival stuff and, and stuff like that. Right. Um, did another one for the house. It was like, okay, we, we started talking, you know, what should I do when I move here and life's going to be perfect? And she's like, Jace, you should do the go ruck thing. And so what she meant was take the SF mindset, special forces mindset, and kind of go around and teach people what that was or would be. Cause there's, there's not really a middle class in, in much or any of Africa, but there's, there's the haves and there's the have nots, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the haves, you know, there's a market there to kind of educate them on, you know, how to be more prepared and stuff like that. But that, that was just kind of a pipe dream. And, but the idea for that kind of lived on. And when I moved back to New York, I put an ad in Craigslist, New York city for a backpack designer. Cause I was like, all right, this sounds like a fun little hobby. I guess I'll get started on this. I was still in in the army at that time. Uh, so sorry, I, I had put the ad in Craigslist, New York city when I was crashing on my buddy's couch, but I'd started the company before that, right when I got back. And so, you know, feelers out and stuff like that. I thought it was going to be, you know, a cool little hobby. And, uh, you know, so that just kind of just, it just endured and didn't really die, even though I went back, you know, with, with nothing, not even the dog yet. And it was, it was something to do that, you know, the next two and a half years I spent trying to get one bag built and it's cause I didn't know how to do anything and I wasn't really committed to it. Mm-hmm. And then I got to business school. It's like, all right, it's, it's cool to have a hobby to kind of put through this, this ringer at business school, because it's, it's a lot of theoretical stuff at business mm-hmm. school, even though, you know, even though it's case studies and it's live practical stuff, so to say, it's still, you know, this is real, real. Yeah. And how do I pass this through the prism? So I spent the next couple of years incubating go ruck at, Georgetown, Georgetown's McDonough School of Business. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be, I mean, not every class you take has got to be, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing ever. I love every moment of this. But if you've got something that you can apply, whatever that, you yeah. know, whatever that lesson is, it probably changes your perspective. You say, okay, okay, how can I apply this? Whether it's, you know, uh, accounting, whether it's um, marketing, whether it's, you know, whatever it may be, right, that you're, you're trying to apply it to, it's got to make it, okay. I could see how this lesson can can apply where I think university right now has such a bad rap and it's like it's not real life like nothing once you get into the real world then you really learn how it's done mm-hmm. uh, but I'm sure if you've got something that you're building while in it it could help Yeah it certainly made it more entertaining and then yeah. you know I started to get my 
classmates and we did little small classes and then a petition to the school to get those small classes turned into credit classes. So, I mean, there was times when I had 10 people over to my apartment working all on go ruck and I was mm. buying beer and pizza. Like that, that's hey, how you do it. People. That's how you that's do right. it. Yeah. You know? And they're paying to go to school, school. to help, <laughs> you know, do this. And it was, you know, so it, it was kind of just yeah. good timing and it, it gave me a thing though. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I, I, I've always, well, I just, I don't love, you know, I have this kind of thought in my head of, walking into a cocktail party where I know nobody or whatever. And I don't like, I have no real reason to be there and I'm supposed to meet people and talk about stuff. Like that's hard for me. It's really hard. Sound familiar, so, but have, mm-hmm. It does. I hate those things. <laughs> very stressful yeah. is what it is. I, I can do it. I've had to do it, but it's, it's just really stressful. And so having this thing that was tangible and practical and it was, you know, something that was mine, it was, it made that business school experience very rich for me. And it it helped me make some, some friends. And, you know, I made friends with a lot of of the professors that helped work on the the live case study. And, and that, that time spent was, was really well spent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing to know is during this time, it was the financial crisis, 2008. I mean, the, the economy was horrible. So not exactly the best time to be starting a business, I would imagine. So Tell us about those early years and those struggles that you had just getting it off the floor. So in some ways, it's the best time ever to start a business because, you know, the, there's chaos and, and chaos is opportunity. When, when you look at, you know, the entrenched powers that be when everything is going according to plan, my, my take is, is that the, the most powerful get the strong, get stronger mm-hmm. and, and disruption is harder. But when you look mm-hmm. at even something like the last year, I mean, it's chaos yeah. and lots of stuff has emerged and, you know, champions have been dethroned and underdogs are, are reigning. And, you know, that's, that, it, it, I think that those kinds of disruptions are, are, or I should say can be blessings in disguise. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you can relate that even to something for me personally, like nine 11, right. Mm-hmm. Where it was hugely disruptive for, for our country but I think you inspired a generation that wanted to serve America, yeah. people that would not have otherwise. And we've not yet reaped the, the fruits of, of that labor. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was never really interested in joining the, the financial sector, so to say, but the ripple effects of the economy were frankly no stranger to me. I mean, after, you know, I graduated college in 2001, the dot-com bubble had burst, you know, irrational exuberance was, mm-hmm. you know, a phrase that everybody knew what that meant and, and all that stuff. And so it was just kind of, Oh, it's chaos. Well, it didn't feel that chaotic compared to where I'd come from in, in the, the army. And, you know, I was just really fortunate. I mean, I, I had the, the safety net, so to say, of, of the, the GI Bill, which kind of, and I got a scholarship on, on top of that to go back to school. So, you know, I was kind of taken care of on, on that regard. So I didn't exit business school with any debt or anything like that. And it helped me fuel GORUCK. And, you know, I just started hustling, man. I mean, the, the, the rucks, the gear eventually figured out how to get that scaled in, in America and they're really expensive and nobody wanted to buy them and quickly came out with an event called the go ruck challenge that I thought was going to be like a marketing campaign where I go, go out and take pictures and show people on Facebook how we're different and tough and stuff. And it took on a life of its own because people became the focus. So I'd kind of applied my background in special forces to build this gear that I wanted to thrive in Baghdad and New York City. 
So I wanted it to be military grade, but I want it to be simple and beautiful. You know, Da Vinci, right? Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And so, you know, refine it and make it simpler. And then, you know, it, it was something though that did that, but I didn't, I'm in business school, but they don't teach you how to, you know, get your first customer. They don't teach you how to, they don't really teach you how to do, you know, your first budget. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't teach you how to, how to go from nothing to something. That's the hardest thing to do, mm-hmm. right? To build a brand, to, like to really go from nothing to something. I mean, that, that it's, 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 it's a load. And so, you know, quickly, nobody wanted to buy this gear that I'd spent now every dollar in, in half the deployment savings. Cause my wife and I had separated bank accounts that, that we, that I had, I'd spent it all and, you know, nobody's buying. And so, you know, this event that I patterned after my training side of special forces, you know, that proved to be the thing that, that took us from nothing to something. Mm. And it was just, you know, this raw event patterned after the type of training that I went through. And, you know, it was, it was pretty awesome. And we just kept kind of riding that energy wave for the next, you know, we're still riding it in, mm-hmm. in some ways, but it's, it's evolved. And, and that became go rock, right? Like we build this really tough gear and, but there's tougher people. Let me, let me show you what that looks like. Mm. Yeah. That's so, so you go, 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 no, you go. No, so you, you're basically, you build a community. Am I right? So yeah, is a, a real world community, a real world, because everybody, yep. so everybody is out there and they want, they want a piece of that word, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, the Facebook community, like right. fuck off. No such thing. <laughs> that is a forum of toxicity, yeah. right? Right. You don't treat people like that in, in a real community. Right. And so, you know, like the definition of a tribe historically was, you know, you share food and you share defense, yeah. right? You're, you're coexisting with these other people and you need them and they need you, stuff yeah. like that. And right? what did he and say? So, Comfort crisis, 150 people. That's, that's it. We don't need 1500 friends, right? You know, we need 150 people of community that we sacrifice together, that we mm. serve each other, that we collaborate. Exactly. And so what, what happened was in, in building these, so it's really a community of communities and I'm really passionate about this. So when, when you go back, like I learned this from my time in special forces, let, let me explain. So people think, Oh, you know, special forces is just about kicking doors down and doing all that stuff. Well, the green berets are actually force multipliers. And what we do is we go in and we train partner forces, local indigenous fighters, to be the best fighters they can be. And then you work by, with, and through them. So you go on the missions with them. You live with them. You break bread with them. You get to know them. You build rapport with them. And so that's the culture that I came from, right? And so taking that and applying that to, to I didn't know I was doing this. It just, you, you become what you know or what you do. And so I defaulted to, you know, my training. And what, what was natural to me was, I would go out to these cities and I'd say, okay, meet me on this street corner at 1am or, or whatever. And, you know, you show up and I'll put you through this team event. I'll give you a day in the life. And at the end, it's like, Hey, we did this really hard thing together right? Mm-hmm. in the real world. And there was a standard and my job was kind of, it wasn't the same as in say special forces selection because I wanted, to, I wanted people to be successful. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to go through and I wanted to show them 
what it was like to really experience what it's like to be on a team, even if it's just for 12 hours or three hours or whatever the, the, the length of the event is. And so what happened, though, was those people formed their own communities mm-hmm. and, and they wanted to socially get together with those same people where they live. And so what we saw over the course of time was those people formed their own rut clubs, they're called. Now we have over 500 spread out across the country and the wow. world. And so, you know, it's just people coming together in the real world outside. Mm. And, and, the, and, and then it's like, go to dinner together, drink yeah. beers in your buddy's driveway, go, you know, go f- climb a, find a mountain to go climb, go find some event to go do, go to a music concert together, right? I mean, it's not all about, you know, what happens online. That's, that's not that great. Right. It's like what you do with your life and who you do it with. That's really where you get fulfillment and happiness from. And so promoting that and and espousing and and really kind of spearheading that way of life for these people and becoming more physically active. So, you know, to go back to special forces, rucking was the foundation of special forces training, not log PT and ocean PT or whatever you see on Discovery Channel. The weight is on your back and you're and you're rucking in the woods. And that was because you don't go to, you don't go into combat with nothing on your back. It's not mm-hmm. a thing. You have all your body armor and all your equipment and stuff. So you have to be able to carry load. Right. Mm-hmm. And so rucking became the foundation for, for these go ruck events. And then it turns out if you do it with 20 pounds or 30 pounds or whatever with other people, and you can scale up if you want more, you can get a lot of people together. And depending upon the weight, different people can do different weights and everyone mm-hmm. can get this experience together. And so this time together that you spend with people in the real world, that's paramount mm. to our existence as human beings. Yeah. And we don't, we, we forget this because we're chasing dopamine hits or we're, mm. it's like we're, we're chasing sugar, man. Right. And you can't just eat sugar. It doesn't work. And, and, you know, it's the touchy feely kumbaya style. Hey man, just come over and let's do some push-ups in my driveway and drink a couple beers when we're done. And you like ask your buddy how he's doing, mm, you know, for mm, real. And right. like, and then you, and then guess what you do? You sit there and, and you wait and you listen and then you just keep talking. <laughs> like, Hey, how's your life? Like what else is going on? And at the end of it, you know, you feel really good about it and you don't have to post about it. And it, it's, it's got nothing to do with that. And in fact, you know, chasing that stuff, we have to learn how to set better boundaries, we as a people, because we know this to be true. The, the best memories that we have, it's when we're spending time with other people. Like, right. oh, man, let me tell you this great story about I was online and like, <laughs> nobody wants to hear that story yeah. ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, right. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to ask, so what is it about rucking specifically that draws people? I mean, I get the community aspect and being together, but what do you think it is about rucking that makes people want to do it? So, I mean, first off, walking is the most basic form of human locomotion, right? I mean, you know, think about the year 2020. It was was called the year of the walker. I mean, we rediscovered walking, right? And so, (laughs) like, it's just to kind of say we've we've gone too far in this, this world of driving 45 minutes around a parking lot to find a closer parking space. But let's take this at face value. And say, look, this is good. This is good. People have 
have were forced. This is the chaos mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking about. Like there's chaos in people's brains right now about how should I be living? What should I be doing? And we know there are absolute and fundamental human truths that we need to observe and recognize. Mm-hmm. We need to be outside more. We're spending 93% of our time indoors, mm-hmm. some people more. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not good for us. Does anybody think that's good for you? Because it's not, right? right? No. We're, we're shying away from anything physical. And when you look at the way that marketing works, everybody is selling the, the latest silver bullet, the latest fad. Everything that's fitness related is positioned as easy. Oh, this is easy, right? Look how fun this is. Just watch this Mr. Spandex on your phone <laughs> yell at you to pedal faster. It's going to be fun, guys. Come on, let's do it, right? It sucks. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. terrible. It's not fun at all, right? And it's not fun or fulfilling. And there's, there's a boneyard of fitness fads that have happened, yeah. you know, basically since people started to become more sedentary. And there's a long line of those. And one of the things that's absolutely primordial to our existence is we enjoy and are fulfilled by time with each other outside. Mm. And you build camaraderie through adversity and you do that with other people. And that forges bonds. That forges really strong bonds for that's a two-way street. Again, very fulfilling thing. And so what rucking is, is basically you go outside with some weight on your back, which, you know, there's resistance challenge. There's all sorts of health benefits to your posture and your spine and all this, you know, text next, it, it corrects that, right? You should have a straighter spine. But when you sit too much in life and all of us like, oh, let me straighten my posture a little bit now, right? Because we forget how how our society just doesn't do that, but it feels really good to just go walk, but it doesn't, it's not an accomplishment. You can't post on Instagram about it. You know, like nobody cares. Like, Oh, I went for a walk, like, you know, thumbs down. Right. Right. But, but it's, it's so fulfilling. And, And so rucking is that thing where you can scale the challenge to whatever you want it to be. You can do it and you can put 20 pounds on your back. Right. You can take conference calls outside. Do that. Why not do that? You know, Steve Jobs was famous for walking meetings. Mm. Just go outside and walk. That's the first that's the first component to it. If you want a little more challenge, then then ruck more. Figure out ways to do these things that we know are good for us. Mm -hmm. Go outside. Add some challenge. Add some adversity to your life. And when you can bring other people in, then do that. So there's the social fitness aspect and there's just the side of it's it's really scalable and it's 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 way, way reduced risk of injury. And the main reason why is because even though we walk so little, we're still comfortable walking. We practice walking and rucking is based on walking. So as opposed to jogging, right, or running, which is a completely different gait, it, it taxes our body not only harder, but, but in a different way. Right, whether it's your Achilles or it's your knees or whatever. I mean, every time you land on on anything and you're you're running or you're jogging, it's nine times your body weight of force load onto your joints. When you're walking, it's two point seven. So with rucking, it's the same gait as walking, right? You just have a little bit more weight, but it's it's fractional relative to the injury risk of 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 uh, jogging or running. And, you know, Michael talks about this in his book, which, you know, a study that I'd, I'd found, it's one of the studies I sent him. I was like, Hey, this, this study, the number one cause of injury in special forces is running. Right. Mm -hmm. And so not, not getting shot, of course, and not marching or rucking, running, not lifting, 
running. And so what happens when you run and you get injured? Well, first off, the first run you take is, is terrible. Everybody knows this. But I'm not against things that suck, right? I think we should do more of them. And if running is your jam, then keep at it, right? If you want to go run a 100-miler and your body can do it, then awesome. But the, the problem is, is that for most of us, it just doesn't work. We've gotten bigger. The bigger you are, the harder it is on your body, the harder it is on your joints, right? And so then you hate it, which is not an incentive to go back and do it. And then you get a nagging injury. And, and then you've got the best built-in excuse, which yeah. is actually legitimate. Yes. I'm injured. I should, I should not do this. Yes. I need to rest. So you get out of the habit because it's not good. Meanwhile, you still have to walk, even if you know, it's, it's uh, you know, 50 meters instead of 100 to the, to the grocery store, right? Um, you still have to do this. So you have this foundational movement of rucking that you just don't have for other things. And you can, you can scale up and, and feel really great when you do. Yeah. Yeah. Now to that point, you know, you talk about spend most of our time indoors, you know, we're sitting over hunched over a computer, our, you know, our upper body's all hunched over we're calling on, you know, our fight or flight, you know, nervous system. And we start getting stressed out and we wonder why we're stressed. Then we, like you talk about, we go for a run and then we get hurt and then just start that cycle over again. So rucking seems like a very legitimate mm, yeah. option I, for those of us that don't want to run. And I think a two, you know, again, in, in the book we keep making reference to comfort crisis is getting out and, and what rucking can get you to experience, right? Whether it's, hey, I'm going into the Rockies in Colorado or the Tetons in Wyoming or going up to Alaska. Or if, if I just, if the, you get into something like this and this is something that, that I'm really, really like, I, I feel like I'm being pulled to something like this because I do well in nature and I don't give myself nearly enough time in it at all. And I just think of, okay, picking up rucking. Okay. Now, okay. I'm going to start like driving up to Oklahoma. We're in Dallas. I'm going to drive up to Oklahoma. Those are probably the, the most accessible and I'm going to call them mountains hills, <laughs> right. right? That, that you can go and, you know, get some elevation change, but it gets you to go do those things that you normally wouldn't take the time to do because you're just too busy. And I just think of cool. the, the, the snowball effect that something like this can do to get you out and to find that peace in, in nature. First off, good habits breed good habits, mm -hmm. right? So once you, 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 you flip a switch for your health, right? You do something, you just be more active and you, you stick with the routine. It, it becomes fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is hard for people who aren't living that to imagine, but it does no matter how hard it is or how hard you want to make it, it, it becomes fun. And then you find other people that are doing it and it's mm -hmm. even more fun, right? Mm -hmm. The other part is, you know, maintaining the machine. And hiking, the definition of hiking to me is it's called rucking in the mountains. Mm -hmm. You put a rucksack on your back mm -hmm. and you go ruck the mountains. That's mm -hmm. what you do. And it's hard to train for that at a lot of places. It's flat in Florida, mm -hmm. right? It's flat. So yeah, you can go, you know, climb the stairs or do whatever, which I don't really ever do. I do box steps and stuff mm -hmm. occasionally. Um, but the point is, is like, that's the closest you're going to get to preparing for that. And if you want to do that longer in life, then you need to do more of it now, right? Mm -hmm. There's this doctor, Dr. McGill, who's also referenced in the book. He has this great, yeah. great saying that, that uh, I talked to him about. He goes, train the movement, not the muscle, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. what, are, what are your desired outcomes mm -hmm. in terms of what you want to be able to do? And for me, I want to be able 
to walk on my feet for as long as I possibly right. can. I want to die with my boots on, mm-hmm. right? And then you can stack other things on top of that, right? I want to be mobile enough to pick my grandkids up and, you know, tie my shoes and stuff, whatever, wherever you want to go with that. But start with that and work backwards and then have fun doing it. So, you know, the train up for, you know, your, your hills in Oklahoma or the Tetons or whatever it is in Colorado. I mean, the way that you get ready for that is you put a rucksack on wherever you are mm. and stop making excuses and go outside and start rucking. It's pretty simple. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Multitask. It so does. He's talking it to me, matter. guys. Yeah, I feel, no, I feel, yeah. I feel like he's talking, talking right at me. Yeah. Well, well yeah. My, Michael he's talked about it. Michael talked about how he would vacuum his house with the with, with his rucksack, rucksack yeah. with his backpack. On. So this is what we're doing. I'm, you know, look, my son will tell you who's uh, who's working with us today is my wife and I. We walk four or five times a week. Throw on a heavy backpack, bro. Yeah, that's all I need to do. I mean, that's not, I mean, that's, I'm already doing this. Yeah. I'm just not, I, I may as well start to ruck. And it you helped, and I have had these conversations. It helped my neck. Yeah, it would. And, help and my posture. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It also, you know, so it also, it's, it's resistance training. So it helps with bone density, mm. which is especially important. You which, know, you, women which you need to worry about because you're old. You worry about my bone density. <laughs> yeah. You, we just, you we actually just went through a bone density test. We're yeah, putting it on blast. Hey, how'd you, how'd hey, you come back? Very good. That's what hey, I'm talking about. Osteoporosis right. is a big deal for yeah. older people. So okay. the bone is okay. <laughs> you know, and it's like, it doesn't, it's not going to kill muscle cell. Yeah. I mean, it's right. the same stuff. Like you'll actually develop, I mean, the strong backs you see in the military don't come from back machines on post that mm, nobody else mm, has. Right. It comes from rucking. Yeah. Car- use your back, use it to carry stuff. And, mm. and that's, you know, that's, that's a good thing. Did yeah. you mention that? Sorry. Did you mention this earlier? The, the calorie burn, the, the exponential calorie burn you get from, from rucking as opposed to just going out and walking. Yeah. I mean, everything is relative to speed, weight, you know, distance and all that, but it's, it's not close. Yeah. I mean, Michael cites some statistics, you know, right. three times and yeah, something crazy stuff like that. But it's, you know, and I would just tell you the feeling I've, I've never, you know, occasionally in life I've gotten where my feet are sore from walking, mm-hmm. but like my shoulders are never sore from walking. My, really? my, you know, thighs are never sore from walking, but when you're done with, with rocking as you get better and I would encourage you to not start with too much weight like start with 20 or 30 pounds if you're, if you're a, a good athlete, which of course you guys are. Um, but it's like, you can feel this kind of the weight, the resistance starts up here and it transfers down. I mean, mm. you're still moving your legs, but, but you're, it's on your shoulders and your back and stuff. And so it, it turns into kind of a fuller, fuller body workout, which I, I, you know, I really enjoy now. Yeah. Yeah. I get sore just walking through the airport carrying my wife's bag sometimes. <laughs> I can't need to start training this. though, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. exactly. <laughs> Man, you've convinced me. I'm going to go to goruck.com and get me one after this, yeah. after this so episode. Talk through, yeah, so talk through some of the pro, uh, the products that you have, the evolution, the, the, the new things. And, you know, as you discovered as the company grew, the demand and need and innovation that you guys created. Yeah. So, you know, we started out with kind of one ruck to rule them all, a a GR1. Mm. And it's, you know, it it got put through so many events and it was just the only main rucksack that we had for for a while. It was the, it was my goal of of building one rucksack, you know, uh, initially. And, you know, you can put a a laptop compartment next to your back, but you could also, Mm. you know, stuff it with bricks. You can put a ruck plate in it now if you want to. And, and, you can travel with it and it's, it's great. It's streamlined. Green Berets use it in war as well. It's tough, you know, all these things over time though, what we saw was rucking as a, uh, it needed more of a purpose built tool. 
and something that you could also do PT or, or physical training mm-hmm. exercises with. So the Rucker is our number one product now. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's just a rucksack that you know it's got a built-in compartment for a, a cast iron plate that we we build in uh, in America. And you can put additional weight in it if, if you want to, of course, as well. And it's got handles all over it so you can, you know, raise it up or do all sorts of different stuff with it that, that we end up doing. You can combine that with sandbag training at the same time. Um, but but that's kind of – the foundation is, you know, if you're going to start somewhere, start with a rucker mm-hmm. and, you know, put some weight in it. And just whenever you're out walking with your wife or your buddy or whatever, you know, put it on and you're out mowing the mowing the, the mm. yard call it mow ruck and mm. and get you some mow ruck. Mow ruck. i love it <laughs> <laughs> i love it you convinced me man i'm going to get yeah. me one so what, what's the future like what what does go ruck go from here so you know we've learned we started out where 50 like percent of our revenue was from events and 50 percent was from gear mm. we were always people first community first that's that's where our heart is and over time, it's just been, you know, the beauty and the beast is we're like 97% gear in terms of revenue. Now there's mm. been some pretty good growth to get us there, but it's just the events and stuff have been harder to scale. We, I mean, we right. were running a thousand events a year, by the way. So wow. it's not like, oh, the, gosh. it's not like the events are, are down. So, you know, we're getting a lot more into, um, the U S manufacturing side of things. We're, we're building out our own, our own manufacturing center in Florida, you know, we're seeing increased demand for, for those products. We're building a lot, a lot more gear in the tactical side of stuff as well. So there's, you know, that's a completely different side, but if you take extreme physical training as the avatar and, mm-hmm. and you combine it with, with uh, demanded proficiency in, in tactical training, you put those together. Those are some of the events that we put on and that scales down to sort of you know, basic beginners as well. And, and, and my take is, is, is like, if you own any type of, of weapon, you have a duty and a responsibility to be confident with it. Yes. Right. I, I don't care. You know, I don't care, you know, what your certification is. If you don't feel confident with it, then you're probably more of a liability than anything else. And so that's just something that's ingrained in our culture coming from, from the military. And so that's a different side of building out more gear. And then, you know, we were going to build a, a go ruck app, to unite the community. And um, what we found is that there's a lot of, of people out there in a lot of different types of sports or activities where the communities are not served, right? There's, there's less money in it. Hey, the air is free. The parks are free. You know, go fill them up, sweat in them, meet other people that want to do that. There's not a lot of money in that. But we wanted to build something. So we started a separate company called Sandlot. Um, and it's Sandlot Fit or Sandlot Technology. And this is designed to empower local communities to say, hey, we're meeting at this park. If you want to join, then come join. And you think about, you know, the 500 GORUCK clubs. They're kind of the first. And there are these other communities that we've known over time. And we're putting them in there. Like, hey, we're meeting at Friday at 5 o'clock at White Rock Lake in Dallas. If you want to come for a ruck, it's five miles. Come join us. Whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we're, we're kind of, our, our goal is to democratize fitness through that and make rucking a big part of that. And this was part of a longer term strategy for rucking to be bigger than running. And so in order to do that, you have to create these, these ways for people to find out about stuff and you have to bring people together. And I think there's too much in the fitness world right now where 
everybody's focused on one thing and you're just kind of always chasing something. And there's a lot more of us that would benefit from more exposure to a lot of different things. Like give you one example, you know, in special forces, you might not expect yoga to be a thing, right? Mm -hmm. But if you want to be more injury resilient or you want to be more flexible, which makes you better at, at doing your job. And like I said, not getting injured, you know, guys have started to take up yoga because they want to be the best special forces soldier mm -hmm. they can be. Right. And so you get all the, and you know, it's not fun to do the same thing every single day. Right. So you want to be able to kind of do different things. And so we wanted to build something that would allow people to get more exposure to, um, to different people that are out there in the real world, trainers and community leaders that are out leading stuff in the real world and really unlock th that and, and, you know, make it, you know, easier for people to go do that and, right. and meet up because once you, once you do that, once you find your tribe, but really once you find the confidence to go do these things, yeah. then it's, it's easy to navigate, right. but it's, it's finding that confidence, that kind of social acceptance of, wait, is this, this is too hard. Nobody else is doing it. And, we just got to make it more of a compelling case. So yeah. that's, that's a fun project we're working on. And, you know, we're also getting a lot more, a lot more into the veteran mental health space. So every veterans day we put on a workout called Chad 1000 X it's named after a, a seal team six guy who took his life, committed suicide in, in, um, October of 2018. The workout is a thousand box steps on a 20 inch box with a 45 pound ruck mm -hmm. takes about an hour. Um, it's, it's definitely possible to train up and, and do, and we're, you know, we raised about a hundred thousand dollars last year. I think we'll raise a million dollars this year. That's awesome. We'll see. Um, we have some really significant partners and, you know, his, his widow has become a dear friend of my, you know, Emily and mine and, and, you know, our, like, she's like family to us now. And, and so we serve at her pleasure, Sarah Wilkinson. And it's just a real honor to get to talk about that because whether it's, football or whether it's, you know, um, the military, there's a lot of stuff going on with the human brain that people don't understand. Right. And the, the, the military veteran space is something that everybody wants to support. We just don't know how to do it. And we want to view bringing people together in the real world or organizing themselves in the real world in order to use physical fitness as a way instead of, Hey, here's your box of pills or call 1-800-GET-HELP, right. which no thanks, nobody's going to do that. Or go sit in the shrink's office with the waterfall and talk about your problems. Nobody's going to do that, right? Mm -hmm. For me, getting back to you know proper mental health at, at, through my transition, it started with getting more physically active, going outside. I had to spend more time outside, and I had my dog, and I'd walk my dog. And you know, over time, that became a, a form of therapy for me that unlocked a lot of other things. I gained mm -hmm. more confidence back. Anyway, you know, so all these all these causes that we believe in, a lot of them are, are really starting to converge and the mission and the purpose that we have of, you know, building better Americans and in, in inspiring service and bringing people together and be creating a more active society and citizen, like citizenry. I mean, we need to be more active as people and we're more active as people, you know, these, these ties that, that unite us, right. they start to become stronger closer to home. And then all that stuff that's going on far away. I mean, it seems less, you know, 
less important because what starts to matter is, you know, the, the, the things that we can agree on. And that, right. that's that got to start with some personal responsibility and some leadership at the local level. And we really want to empower, challenge, and inspire people to do that. I love that. Uh, Any way we can help on that, please let us know. We'd, we'd love to support you guys uh, on that. Um, well, on, that's on, awesome. The website is chad1000x.com. Yes. And there are some significant partners that have lined up. We're always looking for, you know, for, for good people that want to get behind it. And, 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 you know, the cause is, is really near and, and, and dear to us. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I can back channel with you a little bit more, but, yeah, you know, yeah. sign up, do the workout, you know, post about it if you want. Right. But yes. it's one of those things where it's a grassroots word of mouth thing. And we just need to take this on in, in a way that, that will, that will work. And I, and I believe that like mass veteran suicide is not a thing. Right. Mm. Right. I'll say that again, mass veteran suicide. It's not a thing. People don't, veterans don't get together and commit suicide together. Mm, That's right. not how this works. What mm. happens is, is when people get isolated yes. and they start to, to, to be isolated and alone right. Right. and th- the downward spiral begins and they don't have someone around. And so we need to strengthen the places where people can have touch points with other people. Mm-hmm. And this is where sports and the military are the same. I mean, the love language, the, the baseline of the military is the baseline of, of football and other sports. It's physical fitness. Like, can you do like, how fast are you? How strong are you? Right. How hard do you hit? You know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so that's, that's what will bring people together. And last year I, I went up to, this is the second year we've done it. Went up to the, there was a, a one big live event. It was in Virginia beach, which is where Sarah lives with, with, uh, their son, their daughter is out in San Diego, but, um, you know, it's where Chad served and, and seal team six and, you know, a bunch of Chad's buddies quietly came, you know, there was like, these are the guys we didn't take pictures of mm-hmm. and they quietly came to pay their respects by doing the workout. And then they would hang out at their, you know, big giant pickup trucks, which is, you know, because they're awesome Americans and they got big giant pickup That's trucks right. and, you know, they knew why they were there and there wasn't some, you know, waterfall in the back. There wasn't a therapist. There was, there was just this kind of respect for the fact that he was, he was of the warrior class and right. something was wrong that, that did not like he was unbreakable, man. Yeah. And yeah. like you talk to people who have served with him, you talk to his wife, he was unbreakable and something happened due to the traumatic effects, not just of, you know, the, the violence he projected or whatever, but physical effects mm, of, right. of concussions and, and, and TBI and stuff like that, like physical changes happen and that changes a person. Mm. And so, you know, we need to do, we need to bring it more to the forefront so that we can get, you know, this, if, if we poured as much energy as a nation into this, as we were able to, thankfully to solving the virus, right. right, right. To coming up with, with the, the, the antidote and, and, and all of that stuff, it's like we would move leaps and bounds. We just yeah. have to kind of keep this in, in the forefront and raise money to raise money to it. And in the interim, we need to make this known so that guys out there know that this can actually happen to yeah, you. Yeah. Like rock bottom can happen. And this is what it looks like. We need to educate spouses and we need to educate friends and, and stuff like that. And it, it will, to some extent, I think this will always happen. 
Yeah. But we want we want to change the number. And we yes. eventually, of course, we want to get it to zero. Couldn't yeah. agree more. No, you're right. Well, it's all, all too common. Yeah. All well, too I know. I know. Sure. Tyler said early. You know, thank you for your service, man. But you know that 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 expands across the board, man. Not just what you did for our, for our country and, and serving in the military, but what you're doing now within yeah. the community now. Yeah. I mean, you're giving, you're giving back, man. And, and, uh, we love the product, brother. I'm, I'm yeah. moving on. I'm going to go and get my, you're not doing it, Tyler. <laughs> Tyler, I'm looking in your face. Of, the three, of the three of, three of us, us, I'll be the, the three first. Of us, I promise please. you I will be the first. Of the three of us, I will I'm be the one a, that does it. I'll, Let, I'm sending yeah. a picture. Hey, okay. So I want to, I want to kind of circle this up. Right. And I, and I guarantee a lot of the listeners right now are like, hold on, we, we, we can't end this. I want to talk about the reconciliation with your wife. Bring that back. How how you got married the second time? Yeah. Because had we not answered that, I think everyone that listened would have been like, "What the hell?" Yeah. So she had moved away. Um, you know, after so she got out of the agency, mm-hmm. but then moved to to Brazil and got remarried and, and had a daughter, Natalie, mm-hmm. who, who lives with us now. Mm-hmm. I love Natalie. And, you know, there was some reconciliation that would eventually happen, you know, mm-hmm. like that world sort of worked itself out. I, yeah. I know the innards of that world, you know, yeah. the, the stepdad and the, the, all this, all this stuff. And so, um, you know, it was one of those things where we kind of were always friends mm-hmm. and, and that was hard and it was kind of debilitating for a little bit. Cause yeah. at, at one point it was like, you know, we were separated, but we're still kind of in touch. And it was like, yeah. at some points, like, look, you're, we're done. Yeah. And, and this needs to kind of go, go away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, she was down in, in Brazil and she sent me a note at one point and she was like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm moving back to Florida and I would love to see you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was one of those things like that was, there was some years of separation there yeah. and it's just, you know, you love the people that you love and sadly sometimes it doesn't work out. Like sometimes, you know, life moves on and, and that's just the nature of it. You don't get a do over. Mm -hmm. You don't get this, but you know, life had kind of not at least fully moved on. And, and so, you know, we kind of picked up where we left off except not where we left off before, before the downward spiral picked up with, you know, all the good. And it was kind of like we had to make our peace with, with kind of, an imperfect story, mm-hmm. so to say. And we, we both had to kind of, you know, like swallow our pride a little bit yeah. because then it's like, Oh, Whoa, you guys are back together. And you know, there's, there's always this sort of, well, this ended once and you know, yeah. we just loved each other still. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, but, but that's not enough. Yeah. We had to figure out a way to make it work. And so we, we were fortunate to, to be able to do that. And so, you know, Natalie's nine and then Em and I had Jack and, and Ryan. So, mm. um, you know, we're, we're very blessed and, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm just grateful. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. awesome. That, I love that. Yeah. Well, man, loved your story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. We, we've got one final question we ask every guest, but before we get there, I want to let people know how they can find you first and foremost, go ruck.com is your website. This is where we can all go get our, yep. do you call them G ones? Is that what you call them? GR1 is the, GR1, kind of the classic sorry. everyday carry. So if you're a traveler or, you know, you have a laptop or, you know, you're, anything everyday carry, you can also do plenty of stuff with it. Trust me, mm-hmm. fitness related, rucking related. But if, if you want to get into the fitness side, I, w- I would recommend the rucker. Okay. The rucker. The rucker. 
All right, so that's goruck.com. Go get the rucker. Uh, he's at Jason McCarthy on IG. Uh, sorry, Jason, Jason J. McCarthy. McCarthy. Sorry, Jason J. So J-A-S-O-N-J-M-C-C-A-R-T-H-Y on Instagram. And then you're also a board member of the Green Beret Foundation. So all those resources are where you can find Jason. And then chad1000x.com as well if you want to get involved with that. So Yeah, you got it. That's that's something that we do. I, I should have said it's it's over Veterans Day. Okay. So every got Veterans it. Day, we, we do that. It's kind of like you do Murph over Memorial Day and you do mm. Chad at Veterans Day. Awesome. Love it. So nice. it's, it's wrapped up into that kind of that that narrative as well which just helps amplify that that message got it man i love it all right final question we ask every guest this if you could go back to any point in your life and tell yourself one thing doesn't necessarily mean you go change anything but if you could just go back and tell yourself one thing where do you go and what do you tell yourself i mean the first thing that comes to mind is just you know at when I'm just at rock bottom, (laughs) like life's just a mess. And, you know, there's this, this advice is like this, this doesn't last forever. Mm -hmm. You know, like it will get better. Time, time will, time will help heal this, right? Mm -hmm. There's some personal responsibility attached, but, but take the pressure off, man. You know, yeah. Take the pressure off. It's like, it was, it was really hard to reach out for help. It was really hard to do those kinds of things. And so it's just, it's like, take it easy on yourself. Yeah. You know, we're, we're just, we're hard on ourselves. We're hard on others. And, you know, you never know what someone else is going through. And, and it's, it's like, not every day is going to be great. Yeah. No, that's, nah, that's there's, there's a lot of people listening to this that, that that's going to resonate with. That's great advice, man. We so much appreciate your time. This was a lot of fun getting to know you, getting to know Go Ruck, and, and mm. like we said at the beginning, we're we're three fans, and and we love seeing what you're doing, what you're going to do going forward. Well, thanks, guys. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And let's fun. let's connect. Let's connect on the backside of this. Mm-hmm. Just figure out how we can support you further uh, on the chat. Yeah, that's on awesome. the chat front. I would love the would love the help and support. I think it's I think there's some natural tie-ins that are yeah. that are just perfect. Absolutely, Absolutely. love Absolutely. it. Love Thanks, it. Thanks, man. Well, all the best, man, and uh, enjoy the time with the family. Yeah, later, guys. All right, see you.